0: There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction, but there is the all new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out, Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com
1: service to learn more. We're going to look back on this time and be like, this was the greatest opportunity of all time to actually understand what are these different milestones, life cycles, create internet based products to support them, put them up really quickly. And there's going to be a lot of really big brands that are going to come out of this.
0: Hey, welcome to another episode of Marking Against the Grain. I am your co-host, Kip Bodner. I am joined as always with my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, and we have a very, very special guest today. It is Greg Eisenberg, who is the co-founder of Late Checkout, a web three, a community product studio, an agency that designs, creates, and acquires internet communities. So obviously, everyone, we're gonna talk about community today and it's gonna be a fun and lively conversation. Greg, welcome to Marking Against
1: the Grain. Great to be here, guys.
0: All right, Kieran you're the king of community pet rocks <laughs> and you've got a long list of things that you want to debate and argue for the listeners so let's go well first of all Kip's got covid oh yeah sorry I, I buried the lead so yeah why do i sound like a bullfrog it's because i have covid so if you're like wow he was really horrible in that episode you you at least have some frame of reference as to why
1: i kind of like your uh, raspy <laughs> vibe <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be honest it's, it's a feature not a bug kip i like that I'm here for it.
2: It's weird that we kind of just accept now if you go to events, like you were at our inbound event last week and you end up having a great time, but you have to accept that there's a high
0: probability of getting COVID. You can manage risk, right? And you do everything you can, but then there nothing is 100% unless you just want to sit in your house away from everybody.
2: Yeah. Uh, Greg, we're so grateful for you coming on. Big fans of all your work. You create a lot of great content on Twitter as well. I know you have a community course on Maven, I think, which a lot of people have said a lot of great things about. Let's start maybe at the start and just talk <laughs> about how you got into community, like how you started to get into community or see this kind of opportunity for community-driven businesses. I know you have a lot of history in that space and maybe define what you mean by a community-driven business.
1: I guess I'll I'll start with kind of who I am and what type of person I am. You know, I was two minutes late to this Podcast recording because I was nerding out over different podcast microphones to buy. And I was like in the different microphone subreddits and podcast subreddits. Like I'm one of those nerds that just like nerds out about one thing and I get really obsessed about it. And for people like us, the internet is a great place because, you know, previously, you know, pre internet or pre social internet, we would have to hang out in our basements and be lonely by ourselves. Now all of a sudden we can go to these subreddits, these Facebook groups, these different communities, try to really. You know, understand the language, the systems, the products that make you know this community strong, and I've just been doing this as a teenager. So you know, fast forward today, I'm I'm 33 years old. I've started and sold three community-based businesses. One was to a social networking company that was big back in the day called StumbleUpon. My last one was to WeWork, which was you know a a community-based business in the sense that you you walked into these office spaces and you felt some sense of community and you know i've been an advisor to reddit advisor to tiktok and help them grow through community that's how i got into it what was the the inflection
0: point in your life where you're like oh i i was obsessed i I dabbled around into it but what was like the moment where you're like oh crap this could be like my life's work or a major part of my life's work
1: like most things things happen organically you know so the initial realization was like hey, I feel good servicing these people. When I was creating subreddits or Facebook groups or whatever for a particular group of people, I just felt really good. Then the second inflection point was when we sold the business to StumbleUpon. And many of you probably don't remember, but StumbleUpon (laughs) was one of the largest social networks of its day. It was an interest-based social network. It was basically this button that you could press and it would bring you to, you know, interesting content that you liked. It almost was like a TikTok feed, but for web pages. And then that's the a
0: perfect description.
1: Yeah, exactly. And 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 basically once I was helping, you know, run that business, you know, we were doing a billion paid views a month. I saw just the demand for hey, I don't just want to stumble on this piece of physics content. I actually want to connect with like minded people. That's when the light bulb went off in my head. This is twenty thirteen in Silicon Valley. And I realize that you can build big businesses around it.
2: Yeah. And so like, if you go back, like the first inflection point, 2013, obviously there has been Reddit before that, which is, I think was like early, maybe 2006, thousand I'm not sure on the date. So it feels like community has existed for some time, but actually community has been made much more popular over the past couple of years. What's changed that has kind of brought community back into the forefront?
1: Yeah. So you guys mentioned you follow me on Twitter I've been on Twitter since I don't know 2007 or 8 or something yeah, like that same. and I I've been like tweeting the same thing since then like Yeah. And I was screaming into the abyss basically <laughs> for many years. COVID happens and all of a sudden people start retweeting me, they start liking my tweets, they start engaging. I go from 10,000 followers to 280,000 followers, you know, quote unquote overnight. And so what happened, I think people basically were locked down. They were in Kip mode exactly. <laughs> and they're hanging out and they've got a lot of free time. And they, you know, we're community beings like we want to connect over like Kip. This is probably Kip's happiest moment of his day. Like being in, totally. in this like I can see his, I, I you know, I can see his smile. The guy is like, <laughs> this, this is the time I get to be
0: out of bed today, Greg. Of course, it's, of course, it's awesome. no, the podcast is my the favorite thing I get to do every week because, to your point, it gets you an ability to connect with people all over the world about really interesting topics, right? And I think what you're saying is, over the pandemic, everybody was looking
1: for that. Exactly. Everyone was looking for that. And, you know, I saw a tweet even the other day by Jason Calcanis, the co-host of the All In podcast, and he was like, hey, like, I'm creating an event for podcasters. I don't know if you guys saw this. Oh, yeah, I replied. I replied, you replied, and why did we reply? We replied because we feel the sense of community with other podcasters. We all want to hang out with each other. And that's where the big business opportunity exists for community based products. And mm-hmm. I'll define it because you asked previously, like, what is it? You know, what is a community based product? I define a community based product as either the community is the product or the community enhances the product. Mm. So, for example, community is the product is Clubhouse. You know, basically the community was the product. If people left that product, all of a sudden it became less valuable. Now, community enhances the product. That could be something like Board 8 Yacht Club. Yeah. The product itself is the token. The product is this JPEG that gives you access and utility and metaverse stuff. But the more people, like the more Jimmy Fallon's, the more Justin Bieber's, the more M&M's who buy into that product, the more value accrues to that network, the more value goes up, etc. And my thesis, and this is what I hope to dig in today, is that community-based products outperform non-community-based products.
2: Humans have always been community-based people, like for the most part, right? Like, we, you know, there's people like, I think, Kip and I, who like being with people and then do enjoy not being with people. But for the <laughs> most part, we, you know, humans orientate around other humans. We've always looked for some semblance of connection. So I don't know if that changed. But what changed in COVID, where we went to look for community, changed because the world moved much more into remote work. And actually your core community when you grow up is like you go from friends to work and you build most most of your community around work. But when people start to gravitate to remote work, well you have to look for other places to look for community and a sense of belonging. And I wonder in that COVID space, did community somewhat get debundled? Like it got debundled from work being the kind of czar of your communities to like, okay, I need to go find other communities online where I can find, you know, that sense of belonging. Because I don't know in that two year period of COVID, like, did humans change in terms of how we wanted to spend time with other humans? Or did Technology change that it helped us to better spend time with, like it was easier to spend time with people online or did our community get disrupted, like our core community get disrupted?
0: I think most big changes are a perfect confluence of a lot of events, right? I think to point out just one reason for that shift, it would not be wise. I think, you know, if you look at why I think community change, and I'd be interested if Greg agrees or disagrees with some of these. It's like you had an emergence of new short form video platforms, YouTube Shorts, TikTok. Enabled discovery and community but discovery of really personal feeling information. Up to that point, podcasts were really personal, but man, it was hard to find and discover those suckers. You had rising ad costs with Google and Facebook, and so oh my gosh, it becomes way more expensive to grow. So I, I need to ha- build a strong community to retain my customers and hopefully find new ones. And I think that's a big, big factor in in all of this. And then I, but I, I, I would also posit like. If you look at digital engagement rates over the last two years, they've, they've plummeted, and so we I think we've moved from a world of lots of engagements with low engagement rates to fewer engagements with higher engagement rates because of just the lack of sales email engagement, marketing email engagement, all of those things. But those would be some of the things I would pause out there. I don't know, Greg. What do you see? Other things Do you disagree with those? What do you What do you think?
1: I'll let you in into a little secret, which is human beings never change. Yeah. Period. <laughs> we yes. We just don't change. Yes, we might evolve over the period of millions of years. But what we learned from from COVID, I guess, is outlets change. Human beings don't change. So the outlet that people used to go to find community was very IRL based. It was very, you know, Kieran to your point, you know, I go to the office, I go to my church, I go to my volleyball team, I go to my choir. All of a sudden, that's stripped from you for a period of time, and you can't do that. Of course, you're gonna just find outlets, other places, and it just so happened that that coincided with the modernization of social technologies, where their you know Facebook group at the time of COVID had a billion monthly active users, which is pretty counter narrative to like what people say. You know, people you know in our industry in the marketing industry are like, Facebook is dead. Like, oh my god, Instagram Not is true. dead. Not true at all. At all, at all, you know, you had a billion COVID hit. There was a billion people active in Facebook groups.
2: So offline gets disrupted. Technology helps us better connect with people online. Uh, Kib, you mentioned a couple of reasons that I think businesses, because that's, that's yeah. the person. So why do businesses care about it? Well, businesses are like, oh, like all of, I'm getting squeezed out of all these other channels. Maybe I can just own the community versus trying to pay to reach the community. And so maybe kind of jumping back into that, Greg, you mentioned like community businesses will win. You you know, you had the community is the product, community makes the product be- better. Shout out to Anu. Actually, we had Anu on was early in Clubhouse, built a lot of the Clubhouse community. And she she talked a lot about that as well. Maybe on the community makes the product better because I think community is the product is less like controversial or less, not as hard to get your head around. Like Reddit community is the business, Clubhouse community is the business. Like it's easy to see how community, you know, it's integral to that success. But maybe on the community is the, Extension like makes the product better. Why do you think that is a better business model slash go to market than just what we've done in the past, where community was really just like how we service our customers and help them use the product?
1: Yeah, there's a few things to that. So Kip is 100 right in terms of like the cost of acquisition keeps going up and up and up and up, and it's hard to compete. It was especially hard to compete in the 2020 2021 era when you know VC dollars were just going. You know, it was like a Founders were basically running their businesses like kids in candy shops. And they're just like, you know, the price of stuff really, really went up. And so I think that's a big reason about, you know, people just got sick of it. The second thing is, you know, people were buying, companies like HubSpot were buying like the hustles of the world, right? And realizing that, hey, if I own my audience, that could be cheaper, a more cost effective way to grow my business. And the way I like to think about community-based products is often you have three different sort of categories. You have your audience, you have your community, and then you have your product. And it's really about how do you convert people from each step? How do you convert people from an audience to a community? How do you convert people from a community to a product? So using the HubSpot example, you have the audience is the hustle, you know, millions of email Mm -hmm. subscribers. Then you convert those people to trends which is a, a community that was originally built on Facebook, but then became its own sort of ecosystem. And then you convert those people to HubSpot. And it's this brilliant flywheel, you know, the community-based product flywheel that, that exists. And Kieran, to answer your question like dead on, like, you know, I'll, I'll give you another example of like, how a community-based product or how a community enhances a product and why it works so well. There's a business, I don't know if you guys cycle at all, but there's a business called Rafa, which is a cycling, cycling apparel business which was really you know i think it started in like the early 2000s really really was struggling for a long period of time but hit its stride over the last few years and the way it works it's a great brand and a great clothes of course great so great product but they also have this thing called the Rafa cycling club have you heard of it no no rcc so basically it's these clubhouses, they basically like decentralized community around the world where this process of buying a membership into a 12-month cycling club membership where you could basically gain access to these different cycling communities. So for example, let's say, you know, I live in London. I spend, I think it's 70 pounds or so per year, and I can get access to cycle with other people And there's a whole bunch of other Mm -hmm. features. So I'll just list them off real quickly. A year-long membership to the cycling club based around our global network of clubhouses. Active cycling community who share a common love of the sport. A welcome members pack with an exclusive RCC cotton cap designed by this Spanish illustrator. Access to a wide array of rides and events available just for members. But I know they have tens of thousands of members who are are paying for us. So, it's this beautiful harmony of like, yeah, if I'm going to show up to the London RCC meetup, I'm going to wear Rafa apparel. I'm not going to wear, you know, Nike.
2: Yeah. Large platforms are not being unbundled because you have Facebook groups and things, but people are looking for m- more niche communities around interests and hobbies. And for B2C brands, I don't like I don't know if you listened to the All in Pod, me and Kipper talking about this just before you came on. There was a really great line from David Freeberg. He said, "In the next 30 years, all B2C brands die." And they actually become creator first. You actually had a really good tweet on that, which is you know, start start with the TikTok, add on the newsletter and just keep on layering. And then you actually get to product. Like it's like the Kim Kardashian model all the way to like becoming a VC. I think the B2C path is really interesting. I'm I'm less kind of convinced on the B2B path, actually, the the kind of path that you mentioned, which is you know, the hustle to trends to like get in people from that community to upgrade to HubSpot. I'll tell you that is a really hard thing to do in B2B because the amount of volume you need is just like really high. Like the community you would have to build would have to be very, very large and B2B that's a lot more difficult. And actually communities actually don't want to be sold to, right? And so I think this is a really great example where a community is integrated into the product. But the example you give is like the product is external from the community. You could actually be in the community and never have to use HubSpot. And not all communities actually want a brand in there telling them to like sign up to the product. So have you thought about that like the difference in B2C to B2B and how kind of impactful those things will be?
1: I don't see B2B or B2C. I only see B2C. And I define B2C as, you know, business to community.
2: Mm, Okay. At the end
1: of the day, all I see are different communities of people. And sometimes there are cyclists who live in London. Yeah. And sometimes they are procurement officers who live in New York City. Yeah. But at the end of the day... We're all human beings with needs. We identify, you know, maybe I identify as a procurement officer and I have this language that exists, a common language that exists, a common identity that exists with other people. It's just about the the mindset shift that brands need to have around community first is that, first of all, it's not about selling to them initially. Like it's about just bringing them together. Like step one, bring them together. Step two, Create habits and rituals that enhance their lives. So, for example, in RCC's case, it's like they're looking for people to like cycle with and meet. Like, how do you facilitate that? Just make it really easy for them. Then, step three is you have a product that you want to sell, but you don't want. You know, the 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 secret to selling in this B two C model, this business to community model, is you're never jamming it down people's throats. You're waiting for them. To be like, oh wow, I've seen HubSpot a thousand times because you've, you know, supported me in so much of my journey and my entrepreneurial journey or journey that I actually want to support. I want to support it because like you've given me so much, and then it becomes really easy. Like the I dis, where I disagree with you, Karen, is the it is so easy for you to sell in a community-based approach if you do it well because you're never trying to sell ever. You're you're attracting people, and they're just like they want to give you their money.
0: That that was the nicest disagreement anybody's ever given you on the pod so far. Here, <laughs> he basically told you to go to hell, but in the nicest way possible. So, first of all, I I do kind of experience that, right? Where it's like. I'm trying to learn to make good homemade pizza now, right? And like, once you are trying then you do research on YouTube, you find the brands and then you're like, well, I, there's like a base set of stuff I need. I might as well buy it from the brand I like versus like, just go on Amazon. Cause I'm already on their website, consuming content or on their YouTube page, watching their videos, that kind of stuff.
2: But can we delineate between content and community? I actually classify a lot of that as the media and content we create. Not so much. When I think about community, I'm like people interacting with people not not people listening to our podcast on our youtube channels on our blog like not consuming the content like actually in a community a for some type of forum that we have set up and interacting with other people and so like everything you've mentioned is content like did you go into a group and start talking to people about pizza
0: i went to subreddit and youtube comments right and i think that's what's hard is that the content community line does blur depending on where that community
1: lives so i'll give you a trick for delineating between what I call audience and community. An audience is kind of what you're talking about with this podcast. Like it's very broadcast driven. Right. You know, people might be interested in, in marketing and in business and personally, Kieran and Kip, like they might just like you. They're not here in the room with us today. And a community is a bit different. We, we At Late Checkout, we have a framework for it. We call it the tribe framework to delineate between audience and community. And tribe stands for togetherness, rituals, identity, belonging, and engagement. It's those five things. You need those five things to basically test if it's an, an, an audience versus a community. So you're absolutely correct that creating a community, the many to many communication is actually a core tenant of it. Right. Like you need to have a, an outlet for people to basically interact. Yeah. That's one of the core tenants. Also, rituals, like, Having a set of rituals that people can partake in that allows them to express themselves, etc. Like they can't do this on this pod. So one of the biggest things that frustrates me on the internet is seeing so many people use the word community when they really are just saying audience.
2: Audience, yes,
1: yes. This is Look,
2: <laughs> Kieran, you found somebody who
0: has the same pet rock as you
2: do. This is actually the, my pet rock. This is actually the whole thing that like just super pisses me off. Like everyone is conflating audience with community.
0: Well, then did you buy his framework for delineating the two or not?
2: I do buy it. But the one thing I I think the easy way is, are you interacting with the brand or are you interacting with another person? You know what I mean? Like audiences, like all the things I'm interacting with are the brand's content, the, like community as you're interacting
0: with the other people. I totally disagree with you on that. Okay. That's not true. A brand can facilitate an engagement and content can be an object of community. I don't think that you can divorce them as much.
2: No, but you're right. You have to interact with other people for it to be community. If it's not if you're not interacting with other people, it's not like you don't have a form, it's not a community.
0: Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm choosing to disagree because what I'm you're you're trying to make a binary of something that's not a binary. That people can interact with each other around a brand. It's it's those two things are not mutually exclusive. Like you can have those two things together. They don't exist separately.
2: Okay. Okay. We can, I, we, I can argue with this a little bit more. I think we can move (laughs) on because then we'll be like, you know, that, you know, when a couple start arguing and you're like really awkward, you know, you've went out with your friends or a couple and it's super awkward. (laughs) So I I agree with you, Greg, on that. I think even in B2B, there are different examples. I I do think it works in some respects, by the way, I think it just gets, you know, conflated with audience. And then, you know, community is the only way you can build a business in B2B. There's really great examples of it working. Like we were growing community. Notion are a really good example where they just hired Ben Lang to run their community. He was a influencer and then it was, But it was very tied to the product, right? As like productivity yeah. tool. You could figure out how to do a bunch of stuff with it. Actually, in developers, when you're building businesses for developers, most of how you actually build that business is community-driven because that's how developers interact with each other. Maybe coming back, because this is kind of in your wheelhouse, Greg, we love to talk about Web3 where we have the opportunity, right? And so yes. it is like, I know people have a, a love-hate relationship, but one of the other things that changed within those two years is community really became the tentpole of how a lot of Web3 businesses were building their business. Like it kind of got reimagined a little bit within that Web3 space because you're in that space now. Like, what do you think you take from Web3? Even if Web3 does not exist in three to five years, and I'm personally bullish on Web3, but what do you think you we can learn just for community in general from Web3? Like, what are the things that you would take from some of the Web3 stuff and just apply to communities in general?
1: Yeah, we work on a ton of Web3 stuff. With some of the largest, like large brands, Web two brands, I want to move to Web three, and one of the things I always tell them is the best minimal viable product for a Web three product is actually a Web two product. Meaning, you need to figure out all the things we talked about, like tribe, audience, community, product, songs, tokens, before you know, just just getting that right. Then where tokens play a really interesting role is it's just an incentivization layer on top of the thing that's already working. So for example, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, Starbucks is basically launching Starbucks Odyssey. I'm sure a lot of people here listening have used their loyalty program, the Starbucks loyalty program. They're basically double downing on it and just like adding tokens using Polygon, which is a very gas not gas-free, but very inexpensive way of running it. So basically, the way it works is it's going to be on Polygon. There's going to be a virtual space. It's focused on the social aspect. The big idea is, is how do they turn their con- consumers into community? So how does it work? So basically, the way the way it's going to work is Starbucks is giving people the ability to sell their membership points for actual dollars. So previously, like you get these, I think they call them stars on Starbucks. You get all these stars, but like... It's not really worth anything, so they're basically incentivizing you to hold your stars and allow you to profit for loyalty to the brand, and then they're going to create this like virtual metaverse space that'll allow you to you know do cool things with it, like games and mini experiences. So they just teased it out at their investor day, but I think it's a really interesting thing that's like okay, they have this thing that's working. How can they supercharge it using tokens? I think that's the way to come at the the problem versus how a lot of people come at it, which is, oh my God, Web3 is this big thing. It's a trillion dollar asset class now. This is really, really exciting. Let me just like figure out how to be involved.
2: Right. Like if you actually pull back what Starbucks did, it is another example of like other than adding liquidity that you can like resell those points is the other stuff doable without Web3. You know, a lot of what Web three is doing is adding liquidity to all of these things that used to not have liquidity. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. The thing I would love to kind of dig in on for to both of you is you mentioned the incentive part.
0: Yeah, hold on, care before before you before you dig in. Can we play a game? Nine months from now, or you know, six months post launch of this program, what percent of the loyalty base do we think is using the token component? Take a guess. Because then we'll come back. We'll have Greg back on. We'll have a whole debate about it. I
1: think. Thirty-six percent. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I would do five ten. Wow. I'm gonna go ten percent. Let me explain why I think it's gonna be so high. Because thirty-six percent is insanely high. Yeah, please. When you look at Starbucks's messaging about the whole program, they don't mention the word NFT once. There's literally they don't say the word crypto. They don't say Bitcoin. They don't say Ethereum. They don't say Polygon. They're exclusively focused on mass adoption and you're buying you're purchasing these nfts but it's through credit cards there's no digital wallets it makes it so easy for anyone to sign up and and own these rewards and i think why are people gonna you know why is it gonna be so high it's because people are gonna want to participate in this economy and they're not even gonna like you don't need to understand about crypto you're just gonna be like oh cool i can actually like use my points for something for to exchange it for real dollars That that's why it's going to be so high
2: okay it's cool i love that's cool but other than
0: is it cooler than free coffee the other stuff they get now is the question but
2: yeah but trade in points for dollars is there anything other than that what is like the cool stuff that they're doing that is like innovative in terms of like the web3 stuff
1: they don't need to do something that's super innovative so and i'll explain why so it's a it's a it's a recession right now. Like I looked at my portfolio before I came onto this podcast and it's down 4%. Yeah, don't 4%. do that. That's no. never, never do that. No, never. Horrible idea.
2: <laughs> Hide from the portfolio. Hide the portfolio. <laughs> just pretend it doesn't exist right now. It's hibernating.
1: Bring it out in two years. It was down 4%, you know?
2: 4%? That's a great. what a great day. Congrats. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Between people f- just feeling their real estate is being worth less, their portfolio is being worth less, inflation is taking up all their their whole paychecks like people are feeling the squeeze and if you're going to tell people oh hey like all of a sudden you could turn your fake internet like coffee stars into like cold hard us dollars that can feed your family you're telling me that those people aren't going to want to do that i just i happen to think that they will
2: coming from a person who you know is investing in web3 is bullish on web3 there there is some things that you have to kind of call out so One of the narratives of web three was like, people are going to really want to use apps where they can own their data and resell their data. I know me and Kip had a fight about this, so I won't go too far into this, but then you have, I can't remember the person who tweeted about this. You might know Kip, but like the average person's data is worth like a dollar, right? A dollar, a dollar, 60. Now in aggregate to Facebook who can advertise on that data and use that data in much better ways, then it's worth a lot more to them. But for the, for me going to use an app. And getting like $1.60, why am I going to do that? And the app's probably going to be worse than the thing I'm using because, you know, it's it's a new app. It's only being built, minimal viable version. And so in this NFT case, like, it, I guess it depends how much your points are worth. And then you do have to wonder, like, why do you actually need the NFT to do this? Like, if I if I have 10 points and Starbucks has a store where I can trade those points for swag or dollars, it does make you wonder, is the NFT more for the marketing publicity side of things versus the actual functionality side of things
1: okay if you would ask me that question two years ago i would have been like why would you do it on web3 rails yeah like that's just gonna be it's like the equivalent of like mobile rails in 2009 you know it's just like you probably could build some you know it's just it's it's a lot more difficult to build in mobile in 2009 than it was in 2019 yep because of how much crypto vc dollars have been poured into Web3, some of the Web3 infrastructure is actually getting remarkably good. And I bet you that Starbucks looked at this and said, okay, like this question for sure came up. And they were like, hey, like, what, how would we implement this without Web3? And how would we imp- implement this with Web3? And I have a feeling that they actually looked at it and technically, because of dealing with so many currencies and how global the, the The footprint of Starbucks is. I think it probably was just easier to work on Web3 rails. Now, you know they're definitely touting to their investors and being like, "All right, we're doing this on Web3." And I think there's probably some. There, actually, I don't even know if there's value in that anymore, to be honest. Like, totally. they're, They're. I think they're probably very confident that, from a product perspective, that this is the route that they should be going. And I think anyone who's listening, who's thinking about should I, you know, move to a Web3 approach. I think you have to look at it and ask yourself, from a product perspective, do I think that adding Web3 is the best possible option?
2: So kind of random at that conversation on the token side of things, you know, the kind of innovation that Web3 brought on community was I can incentivize my community in much better ways. Like I can actually incentivize my early users, my early community members through this kind of token ownership. And when you talk to a lot of Web3 brands, because I spent time with a lot of Web3 founders, You know, the difference in Web3 versus Web2 is Web2, we're traditionally building communities for either our product, you know, mostly our customers. And then now we're trying to build community way before you actually become a customer. And we don't really build communities for like our stockholders. We we don't really care about who's holding our our stock for the most part. Whereas in Web3, they really care about their their ownership. Like you have communities of practice product, and then you have communities of ownership. And then you can use these tokens to incentivize those people to actually spread the word of your brand. Is there... Ways that you've seen communities in Web3 use tokens to incentivize people that you think just work will work in community regardless of like Web3, Web2, like ways that brands can think about how do they reward and incentivize early community members to be their best marketers to like turn them into their best marketing team. Did you guys
1: know about 100 Thieves, the esports brand? No, so they're one of the top esports brands and teams that exists and if any group is weary of web3 it's gamers <laughs> truth but they basically had a championship some championship game i forget the details but the point is they went to their audience and they're like hey who you know because we won this championship if you you know you can go free to mint you know this championship nft no questions asked and they created this like really simple flow for it really well executed I think they had 700,000 people mint it for free. Wow, okay. And all of a sudden now, 100 Thieves has this relationship that I think is probably more powerful than just an email relationship because now they have this wallet relationship. And my, my thesis is that people who've minted that NFT... Are more likely to buy, are more likely to evangelize, are more likely to do things with that Web three relationship, and and that's why I think that probably Starbucks going back to Starbucks, I think that's probably why they you know wanted to create that relationship. And one more sort of Web two analogy, or maybe it's even Web one or Web zero. You know, Kieran, to your to your point around stockholders and and tokens and the the dynamics of it, well think about what happens in Omaha for Warren Buffett mm. every you know every year yeah that's a great example of people are incentivized to spread the word what you saw with Warren Buffett's I forget what it's called Investor Day or whatever it is or the pilgrimage to Omaha that people make you're gonna start seeing that with web 3 brands if they do it well because people are just incentivized to spread the word even if it's just one or two or five or ten percent more. One of the, the things that I think you're saying, Greg, is that historically people could speculate on
0: on brands and businesses. And now we're going to be able to, with Web3 and the tokenization of communities, you're able to speculate on communities. How how much do you think that community is going to grow versus shrink and drive value for the underlying business and, and each other in that community? Which I think you're arguing is a net positive because it aligns more incentives and you have a lot of leverage in that. The thing I would love to hear before we close out is we have a lot of founders who listen to this podcast, a lot of whom have already built awesome products and awesome businesses. And so they're kind of in that, in, you know, product being enhanced by community bucket versus community is the product bucket. What is the advice you would give to everybody listening to enhance their product with community? Like what is the, besides the framework, the tribe framework, how should they think about it? What, what should, are the first couple of starting points there?
1: I think it's a really good exercise, you know, if you have a product in market with some product market fit to outline, like, where does your community want to go from point A to point B? What are, what's a milestone that they want to hit? So for example, with Rafa, you know, maybe those cyclists want to move from amateur to less amateur. And, you know, as founders and product people, often we come up with user journeys for a product when we're trying to create a product we'll create a user journey how do they land on this website how do they click a product how do they add it to the shopping cart but we don't often do community journeys and and writing out what those things are so i think a great first step is to think about what is a milestone that these people want to hit and then once you understand the milestone then you can think of what is a set of products and services that could support those milestones in like a giving sort of way, a giving and support sort of way. And then you might have product ideas out of that. So you might be like, oh, hey, like maybe I can create an email newsletter that, you know, supports them for a daily reminder to X, Y, Z. Maybe it's a daily tip for, you know, how to become a better designer or something like that. And today there's not many founders or product people doing that, but I think we're going to look back on this time and be like, this was the greatest opportunity of all time to actually understand what are these different milestones, life cycles, create internet based products to support them using, you know, no code or even code, put them up really quickly, iterate test from there. And there's going to be a lot of really big brands that are going to come out of this. And I also think you're going to see a lot of big large multi-billion dollar companies and we're already working with you know several hundred billion dollar plus companies who are like hey I want to I want to like completely pivot my business to community based and you're going to see a lot more of that going forward that's a prediction
2: we need to get a second part 2 with I would love to go through the pivot to uh, community I think that would be a fascinating discussion for for our listeners cuz I do I do speak to a lot of founders and for sure they are trying to figure out how to layer community into the go to market much more thoughtfully than than i've heard or you know heard people speak about in the past
1: especially now where founders are more cash constrained yeah conscious and constrained correct they're going to look for ways that are just a bit cheaper and more effective and uh, yeah i think uh, there's i've just noticed that the, you know the last 3 or 4 months there's been an, another resurgence an increase of Inbound on our end, where founders are just like, yeah, I'm I'm tired of paying Facebook a million dollars a month or whatever it is.
0: All right, that 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 was an awesome discussion. I know we need to wrap up because we all, we all got to got to jump. I would like to thank Greg and Kieran for carrying today's episode with me being sick <laughs> and putting on my worst podcast performance to date. But huge thank you to Greg and Kieran. Greg, I thought that. You were the community guest, Kieran, disagreed with and argued with the least, which means something. I'm not sure what yet, but I thought that it was a really awesome discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And we would love to have you back on in the future to talk kind of how you make that transition from a product company to a a product company that is enhanced by community would be a pleasure until next time everybody leave us a review on apple Podcasts. subscribe to us on tiktok twitter everywhere you get your podcast information we are there and we will see you all very soon